jump right in and call it call it what it is this time we gotta call it like we see it it may this it may seem to be movie schmovie episode 86 but it's actually tv schmovie episode two. Yeah, for those of you that like listen for a moment like oh i've downloaded the wrong podcast mm-hmm. yeah no ronald just pulled a pulled a fast one on you yep you have not shit the bed you're actually listening to a special edition of movie schmovie in which we will be highlighting... You don't know for sure that they haven't shit the bed, Ronald. <laughs> You're assuming sure. yeah. that no one is listening to this in bed right on the verge of having to get up and go to the bathroom. That's yeah. very true. And they decided to instead listen to this. And not actually have shit the bed. Maybe they did shit the bed. It could be somebody who's had a little ricin. <laughs> yes. It could be somebody, if you watch Boardwalk Empire, who's had a little too much milk of magnesia. <laughs> There's all kind of ways that you might shit the bed. Um, and that's... A wonderful and not at all disgusting way to start off mm-hmm. this this family friendly episode of movie schmovie slash TV schmovie. So why TV schmovie part two, Steve? What made us think let's do another one of those where we we don't talk about movies at all, at we, all. We won't even compare lack of film. We won't even compare episode. any of these TV shows to movies. But why why did we do TV schmovie too, Steve? Well, at the great suggestion of Sir Jonathan Walker. Oh well, you know <laughs> it's not really you were, Jonathan. You were knighted over the past two weeks. I'll since accept Jonathan, <laughs> even though that's not real. Uh, it's the end of an era for a show that among us and among a lot of our friends and colleagues and basically anybody that you talk to TV about, it's probably one of the best shows of recent memory that I, of my personal choices, yeah. critically, success, like even commercially for the network that it's on. Um, and you, you couldn't just let this show go without kind of, or at least we couldn't without giving it a little right. tip of the pork pie maybe. Well, I mean, I do think we come in here week after week and we uh, tip of the pork pie sounds kind of like dirty, <laughs> uh, but I think we come in here every week. Like when a show like Breaking Bad is on, it's it's I won't say it's all I think about, but I will say that I spend a lot of time during the week, like anticipating the next episode and seeing what that next <laughs> next chapter is going to be. And so week to week, you knew there were a lot of people watching it as soon as they could and that wanted to talk about it right away. So yeah, it feels Absolutely. like it feels like an event the way that a movie feels like an event. And I'd say what you just mentioned was actually pretty accurate. I mean, for any season this that this series was on. I feel like almost every week you were looking forward to seeing the next episode. And mm-hmm. and that when we talk about movies that we see week to week, you know, the anticipation really is a lot more sporadic for films. And in in sadly more cases than not for me, you almost feel let down by a lot of those yeah. movies that we look forward to where I think with with a series like Breaking Bad, even from the pilot on, it 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 never really I don't I can't recall watching an episode and feel like it was a wasted episode. Or a waste of my anticipation or anything, because mm. everything was so deliberate and diligent in, in setting up everything in that show. And, uh, you know, that's what we're going to be talking about. And it's just yeah. exciting to kind of put a cap on it. I think it's very interesting <laughs> that the, the whole idea, the whole idea of having uh, sh- TV shows be the, the focal point of entertainment in a household, besides like sitcoms and stuff like that, is very strange. And to make episodes episodic. Mm-hmm. Is a very new concept. I you mean the, the shows that have like serialized, serialized. stories? Yeah, yeah, because it is true that most shows, and I will say that sometimes it almost, maybe it's almost unfair to a show that just wants to have like a case of the week type approach. You might have a great show that works on that level, but I think audiences right now are almost resistant to that idea of a show that has a status quo and a formula, and each week you know what it's going to be, and it kind of resolves within an hour. I mean, I, I'm sure there are plenty of shows like that that have ratings, but I don't watch them, and I don't hear people talking about those shows very much. Most of the shows yeah. people seem to talk about are the ones that do start off with an idea, and you know, six, seven, eight episodes later, they're just twisting the 
the the screws. I feel like soap operas are the only ones. I think both of you guys watched uh, Dexter. Is that not right? Yeah, we we did. So a lot of people seemed really disappointed in the <laughs> we, end. We're of not Dexter. making eye contact right no, now. No, you're not. You guys can't look at each other. Right, right. Some shows you watch out of a sense of duty. Mm-hmm. Was was that the case for you and Dexter? It became like that for the last two seasons. Not really. It's... Yeah, I would actually argue any season past the fourth season. Okay. Which is the tr- Trinity season. And... Trinity Killer season was really good. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Was that I don't the John Lithgow season? Yeah, a lot yeah. of people seem to like that one. Yeah, I mean, my take on the whole thing is that I think that uh, one of the lead showrunners parted ways with the series after that season. And I just feel like the with the way the series progressed from that point kind of was a downhill experience for me. I almost found myself, like, everybody's asking me about Dexter now. Um, like, friends of mine that know I watched it and that, that, that haven't watched it. And I almost am saying to them, imagine this is a four-season series and it will be amazing to you. Right. You know, watch it just and end it on Trinity the way that season ends. If, you, if this series ends like that, incredible ending to a series, I would yeah. say. But the way that they kind of just kind of bled it out... And just kind of... I saw what you did Yeah, yeah. You like that, John? Yeah, that was very good. And, uh, you know, it just felt very saturated, very diluted. And all these characters got introduced at the end of this season, or, or this whole season, rather, that really had no play in, in, in my experience as a viewer. And, and also just in how the series ended, the last episode. I mean, there's no real sacrifice made. Um, I mean, there, there is a sacrifice made. I don't want to really spoil the, the, the finale, but... Um, the ultimate sacrifice of of the of the series was not made, which I felt like there was no way to not do, and uh, they they managed to not do it, and it just completely shit all over the ending for me. Yeah. I I mean I I think that people think that I there's a there's a common misconception about terrible people in life, and that is that they die. Some they die early. I don't think that's a misconception. Or die, I think most people. Or die. No, I know what you're saying though, Ronald. You know what I'm saying? Like I it, do. That's there's a weird thing that people have this Americanized sort of thing where they're like, this person has to die right now. It's like people get it into their heads that the most interesting expression of what you can do to a character is to kill them. Yeah. As though I, that's the most powerful thing, most powerful thing you can do to right. a character. And I think that oftentimes that is a way of resolving dramatic tension that yeah. can be kind of cheap. Yeah. And it reminds me of like I remember David Chase when people were watching the Sopranos to see who got whacked. He said that he he was aware of that and he was was basically wanted to tell people, you know, we didn't create these characters and develop them over season after season just to kill them all right. one by sure. one. It's sure. It's, that like when someone dies it's going to be meaningful and it's going to be a plot or a story we want to tell. It doesn't have to be that, oh, when's this person going to die and that that's like the only way it can go. And that seems yeah. like at the end of all these shows, they isn't that what that. People, people talk about? Well, but they, they at least ask, what's it going to be? Is it going to be prison? Is it going to be death? Is it going to be something right. else? And that's not what always happens. Yeah. Some people live to be very old and terrible. Now, my, my, my issue is that <clears throat> I'm not going to give away every part of the ending, but one of the things is that if you're going to choose, if you're going to choose the route of survival um, and isolation, that has to be conveyed well enough that it's good. You know what I mean? If it's if it's done well enough, you'll feel it. That I've seen shows and movies that it's ended in the person not necessarily dying, but being isolated by their terribleness mm-hmm. and it affecting them enough that you feel it at the end of the show. And this didn't feel like it. Okay, good. I thought you were going no, that way. I was like, no. It did, I mean it. Parts of it felt like okay, it. Okay, well, I, I would say... Of it, see, there was a scene that felt like it, but not the end. We're going to get a little spoilery, right, tonight? Mm-hmm. I mean... Yeah, we may as well. Breaking Bad may have been, and I, I've heard this said a million times, may have been one of the only shows 
where a character starts at season one and is not the same in season five at all in any way shape or form you see pieces of that person that mm-hmm. this person used to be but the character is different the issue with dexter is that they forced that change in one season yep it almost made it seem like it was almost like they were like it it's weird to me that these discoveries are being made about tv shows a character can change, right? Mm-hmm. This is a new concept, apparently. And they, <laughs> when people saw Breaking Bad, they were like, "Okay, so Dexter can change too." But we're not. We don't have enough time to finish a well-developed sort of change. We're gonna brush it in this one season. He's gonna be drastically different than he was last season and every season before that. But on, but these these changes had to be gradual in order for them to be reasonable. So here's here's what here's why changing changing writers can be such a dangerous thing it's almost like if if stanley right stanley created spider-man right is there's these yeah there's some debate there's some but i know what you're saying well Well, let's give it a clean argument right stanley he may pretend the artist had nothing to do with it. he may or may not have created this (laughs) character right there are basic ideas about this character right if you were Mm -hmm. to look at this character from an outsider's point of view you would only see maybe a couple things that define this character Right. The problem with that is having somebody else who doesn't really understand the essence of a character take on the lead as a writer. Mm-hmm. You miss the things. You mi- you miss that he had some depth to him. You miss these things that defined his character, and you just say, "Oh, he chops people up. He sneaks around. Spider-Man? He smiles. You know what I mean? I mean, like that's that's you forget these oh, things Dexter. about this character." <laughs> You forget these things about this character, but that's that's pretty much my opinion about what's happened with certain characters in that show. So, did they have a uh, like a show creator leave and then a new guy come on or something? Or? Well, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily somebody came on. Like one of the executive producers left, and the, the two other ones basically took over. Or it was just their show. Really, what is a note? Was it like a noticeable dip at that point? In my opinion, it was. I don't. Was I don't. D- I don't think it felt like immediately when season five started. Um, you know, you're like, oh man, something feels weird because the way season four ends, they almost set up the next season at least six or seven episodes for him to deal with how crazy the end of season four was. Yeah. So it's like they kind of like the 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 season the season finale of season four was so good that it it, it basically make it, it gave an excuse for season five to be at least pretty good yeah. because of the way it ended, if that makes sense. But then once it got past him dealing with that that tragic event. I felt like that's where I noticed it. Like at, towards the end of the season five, I just felt like I really wasn't into this show anymore. Yeah. And the same, and it was just increasingly. It ended the same way every season. Well, that's too. kind of what yeah. I'm getting at. Was it was it that it went in areas that you didn't think felt true to what you liked about the show, or did it feel like they kept trying to, despite making all these big changes, they kept trying to essentially have the same show? Because that, I mean, that was the same. I just thought it was strange that five, six seasons in, that based on the few things I knew about that show, that he was still seemingly, you know, working with the police and not being caught for doing and like well, he didn't really get found out by anybody who wasn't like an it, enemy I mean, right that, or that, am i wrong about that until the end i think that because of his his way of doing it he could have he could have survived forever he could have but it just wasn't done well enough or convincingly enough towards the end that you felt like mm-hmm. i i've watched i could watch certain characters do the same thing forever this wasn't one of those characters. It wasn't written well enough to to be that good. And then the villains started to become like kind of weird. Like they weren't good enough. Like I think that's really what it was. 
the 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 last because they would have John like a Lithgow. season they would have like a season long villain exactly right? so, and that's really what changed too after that season is that it almost became the more the, the real struggle became more of like something with within Dexter and like within uh, uh, Deb his sister in the series like that's I really liked, I that, liked but I'm saying that's what took over the show yeah and I mean when you stretch that out after certain events happen over the the, the four seasons after Trinity. I just think that it, it just becomes pretty nonsensical that like it would be able to continue that long, especially because they're both cops and or he's a the you know forensic analysis whatever blood splatter, <laughs> she's a cop he, you know and he's got all these detectives around him and his captain like it just becomes it, it, I don't buy it for as long as it went and yeah. and especially the way the last two seasons went where the cops involvement really got really really close and nothing ever really caught on, you know. I don't want to say it just didn't seem realistic to me because that's not my that's not my measure stick, but it just felt very stale. Like I well, wasn't buying that, that that tension anymore. Don't you think that being realistic? Yeah. I, I heard this long time ago about um, uh, this was a quote Walt Disney supposedly said this about the 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 character designs for movies like Bambi. He said he wanted it to be believable, not realistic. Right, and I okay. think that a lot of times, believable, not realistic, is what you want from a fictional world. It needs to. Like, sure. We, we all the time talk about rules. And that's why I was asking about like the creator leaving or the important creative force behind the show leaving, is because I think sometimes with a show, you can tell that if this was a three or four season thing, maybe they had a, an arc that would have made sense. But once they get to that point around season five or so, usually, where, oh, we're going to add in some characters that kind of remind you of characters that we've killed off, and we're going to try to fill some of these slots, and we're going to try to, well, you know, we have a bad guy, but, you know, once you get into that point, it's Hard to it's hard to surprise you, especially with a show like something like Dexter, where it being kind of outlandish and 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 over the top is something that's part of the premise from the beginning. Like, how do you keep topping these incredibly gruesome things? Yeah. I just think that at some point, if you don't have story left to tell, it starts to seem like treading water. And you know, not having watched the show, I know that, the, that's it. That's it for me. I know that you in the first season, the only thing that bugged me was it didn't seem. To, I felt like I was spoiled by some of these other prestige shows, but it just seemed like the there was something kind of. Something kind of it was overlit, or some of the supporting characters weren't as well acted, or something as I was used to on some of these other shows. So it just never quite got its hooks into me. But I thought, you know, the premise is interesting enough to make me see why a lot of Dexter fans almost think that Hannibal, which we've talked about, yes. is almost like fitting into that Dexter yep. slot. But I was sucked into Hannibal from the first frame, sure. whereas Dexter always felt a little, I don't know, a little like well, you, like USA Network to me or something. It is. It Hannibal's does. a lot more like. I mean, I'm not really trying to compare two totally different shows in a way, but I think people are prone to say, oh, this reminds me of that. You know? yeah. I would say that. It's a lot more like high art. Like, I don't know. I feel, yeah. I feel like it's going for something different. When I watched, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. this is going for something different. Dexter yeah. is a little more, like, gritty in that way. Like, yeah, but see, to me, there's that shot in the opening sequence where he's walking out of his apartment and he looks at the camera and he's got this smarmy That's grin smart. on his yeah. face. And to me, that like I can't get behind, get behind Michael C. Hall's performance because I feel like it's full of those little kind of moments. My I just f- never bought Dexter as a character. My but. friend loves his like narration voice because uh. he thinks he sounds like really uninspired and bored. <laughs> I always think it seems like he's describing something that I can tell from what I'm watching what's happening and I always find that annoying when narration is like described so like, one day when I was walking up to my house you know <laughs> yeah. but I don't know I mean obviously a lot of people really hung in there with this show and and I, even though I never heard anyone in recent years really loving it it did seem like the overall effect was this was not a show that stuck the landing like yeah. I think don't you think a great finale could have made people feel a little bit better about this so. show, but it almost seems like they got to the w- end and they didn't have no. a conclusion. I don't think it could have. I don't think that could have been a good ending for it. it. Would it would? I would have admired the 
appreciation to end it like that. It had that. And I mean, yeah. for people like us that like stuck around, admittedly, after really kind of being done with the show after season five, because I just felt like I'm more than halfway in. I need to stick with this show. Yeah. And I mean, that's on me, but I, I just felt like it didn't really finish it for me. And I was reading in an article, and I, I suggest you guys find this if you, I don't want to go over everything, but the producer that left is Clyde Phillips, and they interviewed him the day after the season, the series finale aired. And they were saying that basically he had this, his plan, the way to end the series, whether it was in eight seasons or not, was basically that the entire show would be, you would come to find in the last shot that the entire show was basically Dexter's life flashing before his eyes before he dies on death row for, for being caught for his, his crimes. Wow. Which, in his explanation of it, is inc- it's incredibly inspiring to me. And like it sounds like it would have been incredible to see that shot. Yo. And just to be f- completely mind-blown about what I just invested however many seasons in. And in researching it, it's based on a, an old short story called An Occurrence at Owl Creek. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, the that Owl idea. Creek Bridge. Yeah. yeah, that idea. You've heard of it? The Ambrose Beer story? Yeah. yeah. Like about how basically a soldier was hung and, you know, he thinks he has this experience. Like there's this whole moment. It's all about him like escaping being hung on this bridge. Right. And then it keeps coming. You know, I mean, I guess to totally spoil this classic story. No. But it comes back around to him dying and being hung. But in in the moment before he dies, he sort of fantasizes this great escape. And how and how sensational it was, and that, yeah. that's kind of what this guy was saying. That's what he wanted the. I think it was actually Dexter made into like a Twilight Zone episode or an episode it, of it one may of those have been. shows. So I actually, I actually cool. found like a version of it that I want to actually read mm-hmm. the whole thing after reading that. Oh, it's great! But that kind of like out there, like just fuck it all, like that kind of ending for a show. I guess I feel like that's what I wanted, and this the way this ended. Just I mean, especially the last shot, the last. 36 seconds or whatever it is of the show. I didn't hate it. I'm, I fucking am so mad that it ended like that. Well, I heard uh, someone suggest, uh. and again, this is just what I know uh, from what I've read, is that someone said that they suggest replacing the phrase jump the shark with became a lumberjack. That's it. <laughs> I would I would, I would, second that. Jumping the shark is kind of an overused concept, but we can still feel that, that like that dip in quality or that, that things were interesting up until yeah. event X happened. It, but. it wasn't, it wasn't, so you didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I, I didn't hate it, it, but it could have been. I I, I can't side with the some whole conflict. Thing. Ronald didn't hate it. Steve hated it. I can't it. side right, with guys. the whole like hate. I mean, I didn't even Let's hate have a cage the, match. I didn't hate the Sopranos ending. I, I'm, I think neither, people, neither did I. No, I didn't. I hated that. Like people, I, think are like, I know it was up and a lot of people did. That, I kind of feel like it's a litmus test for whether you are dumb or not. If you hated the end of the Sopranos. You, you, you're dumb. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing that like, was... There like, it is. It's like you can have a debate about whether it was uh, the ending in... Uh, you know what I'm saying. Like, the people who just absolutely hated that ending were people who expected something that that show wasn't for a long time and hadn't been promising for a long... Maybe in the first three seasons, that show was really, like, about the mob right. yeah. and about this, this, these, the plot-oriented stuff. But once it went on, you could tell it was much more about how people don't change and people are stuck in these ruts. And so it's much more about the characters. Yeah. And I thought that ending, even though I wouldn't have planned that ending, you know, I wasn't expecting that, I still immediately sort of accepted it as, as the, ambig- the ambiguity of it was the point of it, in a way, you know? Yeah. Even though, what do you think? Well, I mean, let's talk about that. What do you think? Do you think Tony Soprano's dead, or do you think no, he's alive? No, I, th- I think, it, I think it, it really has to do with everything that he did up until that point and the paranoia that it brings about. Like, that, that everything is, every moment where a door opens is going to be like that moment for I agree. him that, for the rest of his You were experiencing what every moment of Tony Soprano's life was. Right. It's, it was incredible the way it was done. Everybody was like, what was that? I'm like, that is how it feels. It must feel like that to, to have murdered that many people, mm-hmm. to have done so much dirt, 
to have cheated so many times. You'd never know. It could be a it could be a girl that he had sex with before. Yeah. It could be a person. It could be the Russian that disappeared in the snow. It could even was, be it could have been it could even be his daughter getting hit by a car by a completely fluke, nothing related to the life of crime. You know, like sure, the right. scene with her, they actually make her like parallel parking suspenseful because you're watching this moment and you don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah. No, I thought that was and in that sense it's like brilliant, you know? It's it is brilliant. It's 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 something that People really don't talk about in terms of glamorizing this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. It's never, it's always like the death that sh- people getting shot up and all that stuff. It's never the extreme paranoia that comes about mm-hmm. after you've done all these horrific things that people. And back I, to what we've said before, in a way, that's that living hell is worse than if he just got gunned down. I mean, sure. the, the, I mean, let's not, you know, rest in peace, James Gandolfini, but it was always sort of part. Like Tony always seemed like a guy who might not last that long anyway. I mean, Tony could have dropped dead of a heart attack. Yeah. I mean, you know, on top of everything, else. right? On top of everything yeah. else. So like you, you do picture, yeah. Just it's not fun to be Tony Soprano at at its best. It's a stressful existence. And yeah. what we saw all along was kind of why he is the way he is and how he's not going to change from being that fundamental person. Yeah. But uh, no, I thought because I was talking to someone just last week who who was like when we got on that subject, she said, "Oh, you think." You think Tony's alive? I, he's clearly dead. And she asked someone else, is he dead or alive? And they were like, oh, dead as a doornail. And I was like, no. You know, but, but you know what? I would say even beyond the fact that I agree with you, and I, I, you seem to agree with us, Steve. Definitely. You're over there. Steve's doing a research paper or something while we're <laughs> recording this episode. Uh, but um, I think that the fact that they left it ambiguous mm-hmm. means that it doesn't... Not to double back on what we just said, but it doesn't mean that he's not dead. Yeah, yeah. It just means he doesn't have to be dead. Like that ending doesn't mean anything in the sense of confirming that he's dead. It, yeah. th- there are there are ample opportunities for this guy to get killed, even if it's not true and he only sees it that way. That scene was all about stepping it into his perspective. Yeah. I think that's just I think that's just human nature to want those things to happen to people. It it it's, but one of the beautiful things that I've seen also shown in in movies is kind of the idea, and it's not it's kind of sad. I mean, well, it is extremely sad. The whole idea that. Even when this person dies, if they die, it doesn't ease the pain. It doesn't make you feel any better that this person has created this much havoc and right. destruction and pain. It really doesn't help that much. So no. this idea is very, very far-fetched to me. Like, oh, this will solve it all if this person dies at the end. Of, I don't know. Well, it's, it's, you've got, you know, back to what you were saying about there being maybe this kind of American bloodlust or this kind of, yeah, you know, if it's yeah, not strictly American, but like... You know, people watch this type of entertainment to see to see someone pay for their crimes, <laughs> yeah. and it's like that's not necessarily what I clock yeah. in for in those types of shows. But it is a huge thing now. All these shows are based around antiheroes. They're all based around people who would have been yeah. villains, uh, in or could easily be villains in another show. And yeah. as you were saying about Walter White, a character who does become the villain of his own show, yeah, in a sense. So. What do you think about the, I mean, since we're talking about it, the yeah. evolution of Walter White? Well, I will say one thing. I'll, I'll agree with you that it's remarkable how the show managed to start off with this premise, and you probably mm. have heard it quoted all over the place for years now, from uh, Mr. Chips to Scarface. Yeah. yeah. Meaning from, you know, milk toast teacher to, to drug lord mm-hmm. and maniacal, uh, you know, and, and, and a guy whose ego maybe destroys everything around him. You know, you, that, that was the arc. That the you know that became almost like a cliche to say that about the show, and I think that is exactly what they did, Ronald. Like you said, it was amazing how gradual they took that transformation. But I will 
add to that the idea that, especially in the last stretch, they made it apparent that we're also supposed to wonder, was he really a, a nice man before? Was he maybe always this bitter, petty person <laughs> yeah. who, having the cancer, gave him a reason to unleash the, all this, as you were saying before, all this havoc that... that I mean, that definitely became a question as the show went on. Like, is his if he didn't have the cancer, would he would he get out of this life? And we saw again and again that it, it, there was more to it for him than providing for his family or for you know thinking of the day when he might be gone. That that it, there was it definitely satisfied some hunger for recognition and power that was yeah. in this man, even when he was kind of a henpecked high school teacher. Yeah, I, you know it's weird too. Like the ending. Brought some clarity about some of the characters. Yeah. For example, um, Skylar, right? I didn't really like Skylar for a very long time. But then, after the season finale, series finale, I realized that maybe all she really wanted was honesty. Well, I mean, I guess at this point... On top of everything I guess at this point, anyone who's listening to this conversation and doesn't expect us to get into some spoilers about what happens in Breaking Bad. We'll go ahead and tell you what we're doing here, folks. If you were listening to this podcast to decide whether to watch this little show, Breaking Bad, that you've heard about, I think, yes, go watch all of them and then come (laughs) back and listen to the rest of this podcast. Because we're we're not just going to talk about the finale, but we're also going to talk about our favorite moments from Mm -hmm. the show, which are going to necessarily not just spoil the end, but (laughs) probably the best, you know, moment. So if you are a fan of the show and you've kept up with it, and you just want to, you know, you just want to have a little bit more of a celebration of it before before we never speak of it again. Right, right. Uh, because that's how fast pop culture moves right now. So at the end of the show, there's a very pivotal moment. Maybe we shouldn't talk too much about a scene that could be on someone's list. Mm-hmm. But I will say that, yes, at the end of the show, they left Skylar. They kind of rehabilitated that character in a lot of ways in this last season, I thought. <clears throat> because I think for a lot of fans, she became... I think a lot of people got caught up in the idea that Walter White is cool and anyone who stands in his way is a villain. And I think as the show twisted the morality of how we feel about Walter, a lot of fans didn't keep up with that and, and still hated anybody who got in Walter's way. Like I, I was seeing as recently as a couple of weeks ago people saying, Walt Jr.'s got to die. He called the cops <laughs> right, on his dad. And right. I was like, no, A, the show is not that type of show. They're not going <laughs> to kill Walt Jr. for that reason. Yeah. And if they do kill Walt Jr., it won't be because he had it coming. It'll be a tragedy. Yeah. You know, but I think so many people still wanted that bloodlust and were, were like in the bag for Walt. I never felt like I was either or. I always felt like you could watch the show and kind of, oh my goodness, there's a call here on the hotline. <laughs> from Cleveland, Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) This has never happened before. This is kind of embarrassing. Call from Cleveland, (laughs) O.H. That can't be the first time you said that, John. No, but I think the show doesn't, doesn't require you to be like, I'm a fan of Walter White and therefore I hate everyone who stands against him, nor does it require you to be I want to see that guy go down. The fact that Skylar's not like an easily likable character just means that the writers of the show are smart and aren't going to create a boring character who's like, you know, a Pollyanna type. Like Skylar was definitely morally questionable at different points in the show. Yeah, uh, it's she. In in her life, I think she did what she had to do, and she did some bad things like the uh, cheating and all that stuff, but. I, people, I think what was really cool was everybody did their version of what they thought was survival. Yeah, and, and and it it didn't always work out for everybody, especially when it came to making decisions, withholding re- uh, information to make situations better. Like uh, the worst character ever written, uh, 
I hate his face. Rest in peace. He was buried in the desert. Bastard. I can't believe I can't believe he hates. I hate him. Well, I'm not even gonna say his name. I dislike him. I can't believe he hates Hank. I hate. Oh, him. really? Yeah, yeah, man. Hank wow. is Hank is a one of the best written characters, but I hate his face, man. Like I didn't like, like his his physical face. No, like he like I I don't know like it it was one thing for him to be uh, so insulting, super duper steadfast in his whole thing to get well that was that i understood that but it was the things that he did towards the end that Mm -hmm. really made me feel like he deserved like when he treated the way he treated jesse towards the end yeah but why would he why would he not think of jesse that way jesse's a murderer and a drug dealer like what what has what has he ever had what has he ever seen of jesse to make him respect him or think that he was i think there's i I mean i'm I'm, I'm agreeing with you as far as that moment sent a chill down my spine but well, I, that didn't to me. That doesn't make me think Hank's a bad guy. It just means I, they're they're all they're like you said before. Everybody's got their own attitude about what's going on. I mean, it's like on, on paper, Jesse Pinkman is a reprobate. We just happen to know that he's got a heart and that he's trying yeah, yeah. that he wants something better. Right. I, I guess the I guess the issue is sometimes you see cop shows where a cop kind of tries to understand where people come from. Like you know, sometimes you watch The Wire and they'll they'll explain like this person was this. He was yeah. poor. He grew up here. It doesn't. Do you blame him for being in this situation? And then you have cops that are like, he is a criminal. He touched drugs. Yeah. He's evil. He must go to jail forever and ever and ever. And Hank is one of those types. Maybe I know why. I know why I dislike him because I've met several police officers that struck me as Hank types. They were super aggressive towards me. That's what it is. Well, I have a personal. Yeah, it sounds like it, it. sounds very personal. But I, I mean, it's like I. <clears throat> but it's that mentality that really bothers. See, it's me. like I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with anything you say about Hank, but it doesn't make me dislike the character, and it didn't make me think that. It's kind of like the way when so many people hated Skylar because she cheated on Walt, and as though Walt hasn't murdered people. It's like they were more mad that she that she was an adulteress <laughs> right. than that Walt was a murderer. I feel like with Hank, people are so in love with Walt that they don't want to realize that in the terms of what Hank's been exposed to, in terms of what what his job was, that, I mean, the show became as much about his kind of, how he kept getting put in jeopardy, yeah. you know, and by, and by the time he finds out that Walt is the person he's been tracking all along, I think that, I think that he became blinded by rage. And when he said that about Jesse, about not caring if he got killed, I think that's the specific moment you're talking about. Yeah. It right. definitely felt like, ooh, boy, Hank's, he's, Hank's like, gone dark. But, I mean, as far as what he knew, there, there was, again, there was no reason yeah. for Hank or for Steve Gomez to think, like, this Jesse Pinkman seems like a good kid. I mean, they, right, they didn't right. have any reason to think it. But I do think that if we're going to look at how the show played that out, it was really brilliant that they gave us the resolution. I mean, there's essentially that scene in the desert. Which we should probably start talking about some of our favorite moments because we might get we might be getting to somebody. Yeah, maybe we should. But like, there's that scene in the desert that is basically the resolution of the show we had been watching, Mm -hmm. and then after that, it was almost like epilogue for two or three episodes. And I thought it was sort of when you look back, a lot of people were saying that they didn't feel surprised by the final episode. But I feel like the last episode was almost the 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 denouement. It was the it was all the pieces falling into place and seeing how it ends. The real climax of the show is when when. Hank and Gomez and Jesse outsmart Walt out in the desert. Like, that scene was the real, like, you wondered what would happen. You know, the cuffs go on kind of moment. After that, it was all about, like, what happens after that. So I think that it's really interesting that they gave us the climax that we might have expected. Yeah. And then said, 
No. You know, Walt made this call. These guys are coming. But, this scene, which would go one way and was about to go one way, won't. And we'll never, like, it, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, a, another show might have ended with Walt being carried off in yeah. that moment. But we, because we knew, well, we know he doesn't stay in custody because we've seen this flash forward. Yeah. It's like, I thought that was so exciting for them to, like, basically resolve the plot that I thought was going to go to the end of the show. And then there's still three episodes left. I, I thought if, that was brilliant. If it would have ended on that note, it would have been cool to me. But I think that Hank, <laughs> this proves to me that Jesse is still smarter than Hank. Because he would never have concocted such a, a crazy scheme to get Walt there. All, all Jesse said was his money, though. Everything else was Hank's idea. Really? Yeah. I don't think Hank so. Hank was the one who figured out about the uh, the rental car. Oh, the oh the yeah. getting him there is oh that's I mean getting him there actually getting right. dating him there. Well, no, well that was brilliant. I'm not that saying Jesse. I think they, but it was the fact that they collaborated. I think yeah. that what we can say is that it takes three guys to outsmart <laughs> Walt. Outsmart one person. Yeah. But look, let's see. So let's get into some of those picks. We're going to talk a little bit about favorite moments, Ronald. You want to believe it or not, one of my favorite moments is actually in a whole a whole episode that had nothing to do with any action, any anything is. Mm-hmm. Widely, widely seen as one of the most hated episodes ever, and that's the a fly that episode. That really, episode, people hate that one. A lot of people hate that episode. It's, it's actually considered like a sore thumb, like the worst. People consider it like the worst episode. You're talking about what's the name? Is it named? Is, I think it actually is called a fly. Yeah, or fly, or the fly, yeah. or a fly. But the reason, <clears throat> the reason or bug why, was it called bug? I think it was. I think it was called a fly. Oh, but the reason, well, why do you love it, Ronald? Yeah. Well, the reason why do you why, love this entire episode that qualifies as a moment? <laughs> the reason why it's so it, it's so amazing to me is because um, it took an approach to the show in the middle of everything going crazy. Um, they didn't know if their lives were in danger at that point. Things just got were crazy. They were trapped in his basement cooking, and you had this moment, this hour moment. Where these characters were being further defined through their interactions, just how methodical Walt is, and how crazy Jesse is, and and Walt wanting to tell Jesse about his girlfriend, and kind of telling him other things he wanted to, but he couldn't. Mm-hmm. The conflict that exists between them was defined in that episode to me, and that and that and and it was almost like poetry. It was it was almost like poetry because. It was done in one room. One there's room. A, there's a name for that. Have you ever heard of bottle episodes? Yeah. yeah. And so the, they, they usually do it as like a budgetary thing on a on a like a like a lot of times sitcoms would do it. A, a cheap episode would be one where they right. only use one set, or even on you know I mean sitcoms do that a lot, but I mean on any show where they say we're going to set it in one place, yeah. which doesn't mean you know not so many locations. Usually it's a confined number of characters. Yeah. So they call them bottle episodes. I think that they did it in a very self conscious way. In the sense that I don't think Breaking Bad necessarily had to do it as a budgetary thing, right. but that's like a backdoor advantage of that type of show is that you can go into this one location and shoot the hell out of that one location. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. It's like one of the one of the few times that the show slowed down that much yeah. to show you just a couple of characters interacting. And how interesting is it that in that episode you almost get the confession that comes in such a different way later on? <laughs> oh, my. oh, it did. Oh, oh, yes, it did. Wow, like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was that was mine. Yeah. It was such a good episode. What season was that one in? I can't remember. Was three. that season three? It is called The Fly. It's called The Fly. Yeah. Is that ten, the one? Season three, episode ten. Oh, good and, episode. And essentially, that's when they are 
they're they're pretty well under Gus's thumb at that point. <laughs> yeah, yes. It's interesting how long the show spent watching those two characters struggle <laughs> with the power, the balance of power between them and Gus and everything, and yeah. everything they had to do to stay alive. I mean, you know, it's interesting how our picture of Walt is this is Heisenberg, kind of triumphant. But really, that wasn't until the end of season four that that yeah, version he... of the character emerged. It's really only season five, mm-hmm. which has been this, the period where Walt is this mastermind whose plans seem to keep working. You know, so you're right. That was at a point where he seemed really desperate, and there was, you know, he didn't have a whole storage uh, facility full of money. He just had like a lot of laundry bags full of money. Yeah, and he was, and he was, Walt was a blundering idiot for most of this most of the seasons like he was scared out of his mind and reacting in real time to these sorts of things it just so happens so i can, i can kind of relate to being around a person like this because this is really weird my dad is like a a science major and one of the things that i noticed about him is he's a very bottom line person mhm He's a very logic-based person, and and I noticed through Walt's character, just I meet when I meet people like that, they're very bottom line. It's like logic. Logic defines things, and this is it. Like this is my logic. This is how it's gonna work. Mm-hmm. This will make it easier. That's it. Quick question about your dad: How pure is the meth that he makes? Uh, probably pretty pure. Pretty pure. All right. I'd say uh, 90%. Oh, 90%. Okay, so good. <laughs> it's, it's blue. Yeah. It's blue at that point. Right. Better so. than better than an, uh, a bunch of Aryans can figure <laughs> yeah. out, but not quite as good as uh, like a Pinkman level. <laughs> right. All right. Right, right. So it's just something I'm, that's really interesting about, and that's something that they really don't focus on, but it really is a huge part of his personality, that mm-hmm. science background. That that sort of like logic based thing, like the thing that made him amazing, that made the the, the, the explosion that he did in the the house that one. It's that thing that that defines him. Mm-hmm. It's also the thing that kind of makes him so crazy when it comes to his decision making skills. So well, in that episode too, it's like madness. I mean, like it's a little bit. I mean, it might be true that they need to get rid of this fly, but it also seems a little bit like mm-hmm. he's gone off the deep end. That really maybe they could just get on with it, but yeah. it's become a, like an obsession. Right. And and don't you think maybe that is that is it all about Walt trying to as, assess control over something at that point? You know, like oh, yeah. the fact that he feels like he's he's being manipulated and he doesn't see a way out. Like this is the one thing he can control. Maybe is this this yeah. laboratory? But that's a good choice. Me next. Yeah, Steve just gave me the finger, and I don't mean in a bad way. I mean he gave me the. <laughs> I, actually, it would be slick if it had, if I'd allowed that to be a silent cue, and I just said, "Well, my first pick." Well, my first pick. Uh, I, I guess I'll go in in chronological order as these go through the show. My first pick it comes in the eighth episode of the second season. It's an episode called Better Call Saul. <laughs> and you can imagine which great character gets introduced in that in that episode. There's a great line before they go to meet him where Jesse tells Walt, you don't need a criminal lawyer. You need a criminal lawyer. You know? yeah. and, and I've heard the creators of the show say that they conceived Saul as a lawyer who's never been in court. That his 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 clients are all so shady <laughs> that his mission would be to keep them out of court, to cut deals, right. work the system, keep them out of court, because none of these clients would stand a chance in court. Um, so that's why they go to see him. It's earlier in the episode where he kind of rejects them, and and it's a funny bit of, it's a little subtle because Walt breaks down into a coughing fit when he first meets Saul 
But they they later show up, and they show up in their little uh, toboggans with the tassels on them that Jesse bought. Uh, so they're out there in the desert, and they've got Saul, and they've taken him out to basically where they've dug a grave, and they've got him on his knees, and they've got guns at his back. And he's very nervous. But in that scene, it's maybe about a five-minute scene, Saul goes from them trying to intimidate him into, into basically making sure that Badger's okay, to him basically getting them to hire <clears throat> him as their lawyer... <laughs> Because he recognizes them, he hears Walt cough, and he says, Mr. Mayhew? Basically, when they go to him earlier, they pretend to be, Walt's pretending to be Badger's uncle, and he says his name is Mr. Mayhew. And so when, when, when Saul hears Walt cough, he says, Mr. Mayhew? And at that point, he gets him to take the mask off. He says, if you're coughing, just take it off. You can breathe better. He, he just basically takes control of the situation from yeah. being on his knees out in the desert and being really scared. He recognizes what's going on. So it's, it's one of those, you were talking about Walt being kind of a blunderer. Um, it, it's one of those scenes where you really see he's not good at this criminal thing yet. Yeah, and, yeah. and Saul kind of convinces him, not only are you, you know, you shouldn't kill me, uh, but this isn't the way we go about things. You're going to need a lawyer. So he gets them to give him a dollar so that anything they say at that point is protected by attorney-client privilege. And then from that moment on, Saul is the character that he becomes in the show. I mean, if you look back, Saul's always sort of given good advice, yeah. even if sometimes the advice has been to kill a character that we like. But I think in that moment, I was so impressed with not just... <clears throat> how the character turned that scene around and took this moment where he was about to be killed to a moment where he's not only alive but hired. But the fact that Bob Odenkirk convinced me in that scene of, oh, this guy, he may be a little sketchy and his acting may be a little bit comedic, a few degrees more funny than the rest of the show. I bought him in that world and I bought that he could take control and actually have a, a, you know, a spot in this cutthroat world. And I think you never really forget that Saul is not really one of these cutthroat guys. I mean, after right, that yeah. moment, you always kind of fear for Saul that, you know, and there's definitely a few points where he gets beaten up or bad things happen, but I think they always show he's like a cockroach. He did seem like a character that would that would make it out alive. Yeah. And, if you know, as it turns out on the, at the end of the show, he does sort of seem to get out of Dodge in time. So I thought that was a like great introduction Saul. to a great character. Yeah, he. I think that the cool part about Saul and the comedic whole thing is something that you see all the time is, all right, so... One of the things about funny people, and not every funny person, is not necessarily that, that some of the funniest people are the saddest people because they deal with so much stuff, like mm -hmm. just human interaction and stuff like that. But it's almost like when you're sharp like that, it's like everything's coming at you in slow motion. Mm -hmm. So there is something kind of funny about that, yeah. kind of pointing at something and I talk about the absurdity of that. Seeing people get into these dumb situations all the time. It, he's almost that voice that we all have as we're reacting to everything else. Like, why don't you do that? Well, he also, thinking, we find out later his name's not Goodman, it's McGill. <laughs> we also see if, I don't, I don't know if it's always visible, but his diploma that hangs behind him is from the University of American Samoa, which may not be a real school at all. Whatever happened to you? Right, I, he's sitting in that room. Did he just not come him, out of that room? I expected him to come back to him Steve's at some told point. Him never to leave the room. Yeah, so four, four, four year old still sitting in there. I did picture them like cutting to him with like a, like a like a beard and a bunch of Chinese food cartons scattered around or something like that. But yeah, I liked his character a lot. Yeah, another comedian that, that yeah. is a great great actor in and yeah show. Uh, kubi is played by bill burr who's also a great yeah. comedian i yeah. think they did well on that show with and a lot oh, of shows yeah. seem to movies and shows where they they just pick comedians to play maybe non-comic characters but usually comedians are pretty good actors yeah. you know yeah yeah that's a cool steve moment. so my my first pick uh i think is the same season that you just picked from john 
is um I'm gonna pull um uh, a pseudo Walker right now. Uh oh. Only because the episode ends and the scene kind of picks up in the next episode. Okay. So this is uh the end of episode twelve and the beginning of thirteen of season two, and this is basically the scene where Walt basically lets Jane die. Um mm. and I think and then the beginning of episode thirteen is Jesse realizing it and seeing its effect on him basically. Uh, oh man, the dread that you yeah. feel knowing what that's going to do to him because he's really hanging at a thread at that point. At that point, yeah, and, and, that, and the whole the whole build up to that is that you know she finds out about Walt withholding this money because Walt's basically said to Jesse, "You have to prove to me that you're clean before you get your cut of this first delivery that they make to Gus." And she learns about it, and she basically is trying to expose this whole thing to Jesse um, so that you know he can get his cut. But it's it's really the first scene that you really kind of see. Uh, I guess I don't know. I guess the, the the moment that I felt like Walt really lost himself and lost his soul in terms of mm-hmm. what he would do to affect another person, um, and then and then and then him realizing that in Jesse in the next episode, and the way that Jesse was just burying himself in drugs and just like basically went on ten times worse than what Walt was trying to get him away from in the episode prior. So you know his actions in trying to, you know Walt actually goes to that house. To, to basically make amends with Jesse and to, and to settle something, you know, to make a, make a good gesture. And as he's trying to wake Jesse up, he knocks her over and just watches her choke on her, on her own, I don't know, I guess vomit, and just watches her die. I mean, it's a hard scene to watch. Um, it was hard to watch. And Steve, I think you hit on one of the crucial things that almost, like, it's, he didn't just let her die. Right. He's the cause of it. Absolutely. And that's, that's it's just, um, it's definitely one of the more devastating scenes of the whole series for me. Um, and maybe a point of no return for Walt. Like absolutely. that might have been. Is that maybe the first real point of no return for Walt? I mean, we I know we've seen him kill people, but they've always yeah. been in the drug trade. That's, Was that the first time that you thought, "Oh man, there's no bouncing back from this"? You right, know? and not only that, but like that that moment really goes on and continues through the end of the series up until the very last moment. You know that the decisions that Jesse is motivated by and makes have to do with that moment. You know, and initially him thinking that he's the cause of it and Walt never disclosing mm-hmm. that. And then, you know, in the, the, the third to last episode or second to last episode, when he tells him, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just a moment that looms through the rest of the seasons. And, and you know, you see her in a couple of flashbacks in the later seasons, but um, just, just a moment where Jesse kind of, and, and not only that, but I think it's where Walt realizes that there's a lot more to Jesse than just this former student who's a dropout who always happened he's happening to work with now he yeah. sees how much it affects him and like and how crushed he is by it and and i think it almost becomes a point where um you really just see a whole different a whole different walter white like in, in deciding like you just said to to not do anything on something that you accidentally did and well just, i mean you see him weighing it and you yeah. see him think like yeah. is it maybe not better for me if this person is dead point blank and that yeah. is which brutal. is a shitty thing to think Right, because in like, his mind, in his yeah. mind, in doing that, he's improving his situation, mm-hmm. and he still thinks that Jane is the cause of why Jesse's back in the drugs, and, and in some, you know, she was, but he sees it in, in that moment, at click. You're thinking, oh, this is a way that my life's going to be better, and Jesse's life's going to be yeah. better. But in reality, he sent them off the deep end, and mm-hmm. that realization in the episode that follows it, just right off of that scene, it just is a crazy experience for for a TV show, and I don't know that. He was never the same after that. At all, yeah. I mean, he, he, a, he was a broken person yeah. because of that. Ugh, Especially well. because up until the moment that Walt tells him the truth, 
he thinks he's the reason she died. Yeah. yeah. And that's a crazy burden to carry. Okay, so now let's talk about that moment in uh, episode, uh, the sixth episode of this season, which was Ozymandias, mm. which m- may have been one of the best episodes that the show ever did, where he basically just says, he just is saying it just to be mean. And it's at that moment, he believes Jesse's about to be taken off by these Aryans and tortured for information, and then killed. And, killed. and he wants to stick the knife in. Because at that point, he blames Jesse for Hank being dead. <clears throat> yeah. When really, it's his phone call that caught... You know, yeah. clearly, yeah. at that point, Walt is... He's not... Guys, Walt's not a nice man. But but yeah, there's a lot moment, of there's he, a lot there's a lack of acceptance in terms of what he accepted as his, his fault. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. And yes. that really kind of continues. I mean, even at the end of the show, yes. when he takes out all the Aryans, you feel that he's blaming them for Hank's death. <laughs> Yeah, oh, totally. even still, like totally. even still, even totally. even though he made that call mm-hmm. and wanted them to come destroy everything that was in the in that area, you know, even though you don't like Hank or never did Ronald, you had to admire you, anyone who goes out telling the guy who's got a gun on him to go fuck himself. Oh, you have to admire that. Oh. Yeah, know? at definitely. least he went out like a man. And, and in that moment, he won up won up Walt. He's yeah. like, you're, "You're the smartest man I know. You're an idiot." Yeah, like he had his decision before. Yeah. Like yeah. that 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 line is just money. You can never you can never say that Hank was a coward in any oh, way, no. shape, or form. Yeah. No. He he confronted he confronted Walt. Yeah, right after he knew he he covered. I mean, like yeah. I I feel like. I love it when someone dies in mid-sentence, when someone's like saying, do what you're going to do, or just go ahead and shoot me. I think Stringer Bell's basically yeah. saying, come on, shoot me, yes. before he gets killed. And it's I always cut that. off a little bit. Uh, poetic justice, I believe the, the, the I believe Uncle Jack was in mid-sentence when, yeah. when Walt yeah. got him to. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, mine was, if, if Jesse's girlfriend dying was a defining moment in Jesse's uh, life, I think that one that kind of took the chaos. Which girlfriend dying? Uh, <laughs> I know. Jane. I know. Yeah, yeah, no, Jane. I, know. I was just going to. Yeah. If, if that was something that defined Jesse's character, this was one that defined control. It defined the lack of control of the situation. And that was when Todd shot the little kid. Ah, oh, you bastard. So this, this was a defining <laughs> you had moment. had my eyes on my list, too. This is a defining <laughs> moment because... Up until that point, all the chaos that was created was a sum of all the things that they had done, right? right? When they introduce new people, when you introduce people that aren't accustomed to the way you work, aren't accustomed to the way you survive, aren't accustomed to the rules that you have about lives being taken and lives preserved, things get crazy. And introducing Todd into their situation was the nail in the coffin in a lot of ways. Yeah, a character who sneaks up in terms of his importance. Yeah. In that initial moment, he seemed like, it seemed like... Almost seemed like a character they brought in to be cannon fodder. You would yeah. have expected yeah. him to be the one to get yeah. shot or, or to get caught and maybe yeah. turn witness or something like that. Right, right. Man, right. He, was, he, was, <clears throat> he was the cancer that contributed to everything that happened. Yeah, and after. it's all... Everything that's evil and rotten about him is contained in two things he does. One is kill the kid. Uh-huh. Other is... Take the kid's tar- tarantula home with him. Yeah, and, and you know, and I think that sets up like at that moment. I I think everybody was like, this guy's like a sociopath yeah. because he killed someone and kind of took a trophy with him, or yeah. he's just fascinated. But there's that little bit with him I, and looking at the spider kind of, in the jar. Absolutely, he's trying and to be kind of a slow guy. Yeah. Also, um, he looks slow, but clear. Well, yeah, yeah. He develops it, right. It's one thing about that that his actions in general that made him seem very like 
So there's one thing for for Walt and Jesse to make decisions based on survival, what they what they define as survival, and there's another thing for a person to volunteer this sort of chaos. <laughs> They were killing a little kid. They could have mm-hmm. let that kid go. That kid, that kid wouldn't have said anything. Mm-hmm. Or, or they could have said, "We're out here doing something for the county," or anything. something like that. They yeah, there's any anything. number yeah, of things right. that kid. And the kid may have said, "I think again, obviously, the clean <clears throat> way to do it is to kill the kid because that leaves no question." Yeah. But they could have. Yes, there's there's several ways they could have explained away what they were doing. Right. Easily. Yeah. And, I, I, yeah. I'm sorry. Good. And it's and it's that sort of mobster sort of thing that 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 Jess, uh, that Todd had that Jesse and Walt didn't have that made this sort of there are there are there are people like I, there are people like Walt mm-hmm. that that deal drugs and then there are people like Todd and his his uncle you know mm-hmm. what I mean like they're they're different sorts of ways of dealing with things and this up until that point, that sort of person had never affected them quite as much as as it had. Yeah. That's a different element. A person that'll just kill off of impulse. That is a different sort of uh, energy. And to make that, that call, like to make that that quick gut call and say like this is the simplest way to do it which again in the end it was simpler yeah it's horrible i mean that was a moment it was interesting that that came after that heist with the train which was maybe one of the kind of more fun sort of over the top western yeah yeah Yeah, and then for them to like follow that up with the biggest gut punch in the world (laughs) and then that next episode that started off with them disposing of the body that was one of the saddest things i've ever seen well i think that the the big moment i mean i actually had that on my list as well ron Mm -hmm. um so it's awesome pick the the thing that i think two things from that episode or that scene John just said, like, the, the buildup of how fun and exciting that scene is, the actual heist itself. Like the clockwork precision Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like, it just felt so methodical and just it's just fun. It almost felt fun. Um, but it's, like, it's just the way that Vince Gilligan always kind of just shocked people with just, like, unexpected death, you yeah. know? And, and, I mean, in this case, a child is, like, the ultimate in a show like this in some ways. And I think it continued... And the second thing was is that it basically... It marked the point of no return between yeah. Walt and Jesse. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it basically was the point that, from everything that had preceded it, not only at that point did Walt become... It, it shows how obsessed with the job Walt is, that he sides with Todd. You know, Wes, Jesse's had, like, this history with, obviously, a closeness to kids and, you know, children in the, children in the show. Jesse's always been, like, a, uh, relating to them, you know? Yeah. He obviously likes kids. And for it to be that that life that Todd takes and, you know, just to be that moment where he looks to Walt to side with him and he doesn't, mm-hmm. um, that's where it stopped. That moment before that happened is the last time the two of them had a happy moment together in the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that's that's the moment that yeah. it just all stops. That is such a defining moment. If, like, it's, it's like two things chipped. I mean, mm-hmm. like, the death of Jane was one, and then that was it. That was the the final moment that they would ever look at each other with some sort of mutual respect, and then it became like I fucking hate this person. Yeah, and that and that is that is intense, man. And and the fact that it carried on for as long as it did, and didn't get old was pretty crazy. Well, I mean, again, it feels like the show stayed in that kind of ambiguous place for so long, but that was just 
what, 10 episodes before the end of the show in its entirety. That was, you know, well into the the, yeah. the last season of the show. Uh-huh. So it's interesting to note that that last chunk of episodes is all about those moments that you can't go back from. Right. It's all about these characters were, you know, you see it happen between Skylar and Marie. You see it happen between Walt and Hank. You see it happen between Walt and his family. All these characters, like, there was going to be no more fun. And the show still managed to be very exciting and, and sometimes very darkly funny and very fun to watch because of how exciting the plot was. Yeah. But the fun, you know, the, the, the nice moments between the characters got got fewer and farther between, for yeah. sure. And that definitely was a impossible-to-feel-good-about-what-these-people-are-doing kind of moment, you know? Yeah. Except for the jerks who still... Uh, worship Walter White, which is you know still funny to me. I just feel like again, if you hate the ending of The Sopranos, you're dumb. If you if you thought Walter White was the was the unequivocal hero of this story, you're dumb. You're right, you're right. You know, not to say that you have to hate him, but so yeah. My my second pick is one that I I, I loved this moment. I won't say it's the first moment when this character really showed what a great character he was, but it's a moment. It's it's like a five minute scene, and this is a character that we had already met. And we'd already kind of seen how efficient he was. And when he gets brought in as a fixer, I believe Mike's first appearance is in the episode, or his first kind of act, isn't it, to maybe clean up after the Jane situation? I think it's it. I think it might be. The one thing I did learn from kind of going back and looking at all these old episodes is that the plot on this show was twistier than I remembered. (laughs) Like, I remember how things kind of shook out. I don't always always remember the machinations that got things into those places. So I actually probably would go back and rewatch the whole show. But... I know we'd seen Mike before, but there's a moment in the last episode of season three called Full Measure. It's a scene, it's about a five-minute scene where, and we don't even really know for sure what Mike is doing, but he is going to this chemical company, which appears to have been taken over by some Mexican cartel members Mm. as either a message to Gus Fring or checking in on Gus Fring, but I believe it's a chemical supply company where they keep the chemicals that they use for their meth operation. And it's an introduction, I believe, also to Mr. Chow. (laughs) <laughs> the old Asian guy that later gets killed as, as one of Mike's guys. But it's a scene where Mike goes into the place, and it's almost like a scene out of... It's like James Bond meets the coolest hitman meets the coolest action character you've ever seen. Mike just goes in and, without breaking a sweat, dismantles these guys. Just like, you know, kills them without even kind of turning his head and looking at him type thing. And then he yeah. goes into the place, and, you know, there's that moment where he's... He's about to sneak into a room, and there's a guy standing on the other side of the wall, and Mr. Chow has got his hands up, and he uses the height of his hands to, to indicate <laughs> to Mike how to aim his gun through the wall that he can, you know, the other guy that he can see. It's just this great moment. It's like five minutes. It's, 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 it starts with him. You see him driving around. He's got some balloons in the backseat of his car, and he's with his granddaughter, which we later find out is an important part of Mike's character, that he loves his granddaughter. And you see her leave. And she's got some of the balloons, and he says, "No, those balloons." She starts, to, or she, maybe she thinks the balloons are for her, and he says, "No, those are for me." And she says, "But you're old, you know." He says, "You're never too old for balloons." <laughs> and the next thing you see him doing is going up to this fa- this chemical uh, factory or warehouse, and he releases the balloons into the power lines and causes everything to short out mm. at the place. And then after that, I mean, it's it's like five minutes of just the coolest, most collected dismantling. Like he kills four guys. He also. Goes up to Chow and he finds out if there's like a woman, a secretary in the front, and she's cowering, and uh, he basically like finds out if she can drive. Does she have a driver's license? He asks Chow and he's like, yeah. And then he says, all right, cool. And he shoots Chow in the leg as a warning and says, don't let this happen again. 
and basically then says, well, all right, get her to drive you to the hospital now. Like, that's why he was checking to see if the woman could drive, was because he, before he shot the guy, he wanted to make sure that someone could get him to the hospital. Right, right. But it's just a great moment. And I feel like everything that Mike did after that, I kept flashing back to just, you know, you never doubt what an efficient badass he is. Now, Mike does some things that I don't necessarily, you know, his character, he's another character that's kind of, he sets some of the stage for his own ruin. Like, Walt killing him is largely due to some things that Mike has done and said yeah. and kind of threatened and challenged Walt. But in that moment, Mike just seems like the most efficient person in the world. And the fact that he's working for this, you know, this ruthless drug lord, you, you understand why someone like Gus would work with someone like Mike. Yeah. Great moment. I'm going to piggyback on that. My second favorite moment is the episode before that called Half Measures. Uh, no Half Measures. It's actually just a, a small, quiet scene uh, with Walt and Mike uh, in the in one of the rooms, and where basically Mike sits Walt down to tell him this story um, about his, you know, an experience he had when he was a, a beat cop, and I think in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, almost like telling a story to a kid. It felt like, mm-hmm. and it's just a, it's kind of just a really. It tells you a lot about Mike beyond knowing how efficient he is as a killer or as a fixer or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, because you just you you learn so much more about him like internally like there's actually a like a heart and there's like a lot of story to him to be told which we do find out later in episodes but it's also now that we see the way the series ends following that episode it also proves to be to have more it resonates deeper just because we see that almost you know he basically makes the same mistake twice and that's kind of his and you know mm-hmm. like john was just saying like some of the decisions he makes before walt actually takes him out it almost makes him fall victim to this to the same moral that he's trying to teach walt from a mistake he made when he was a cop you know basically never to like leave something half done and uh he kind of makes that mistake again and it, it and it's ultimately what ends up taking his life and right. it's just a really great scene and it's the first scene where you see something more of mike and mike kind of became one of my favorite characters in the show uh and uh just, just really cool. And it's also kind of like a check for Walter because it, like, I think beyond him kind of going up against a lot of these like dealers and Gus and all these people that he had in his life or in his circle, you know, Mike became a character that he may butt heads with at times. But I think that moment, I think he became somebody he really respected as well because of what he's been through and that piece of advice that he gave Walt. That from that point on, Walt pretty much enacted or, or basically put into action even better than yeah. Mike did. Which is, you know, that I think that's Walt's character too. He would take what any whatever somebody would give him and kinda almost make it better in some ways and, and, and that's kinda how he bested Mike in, in, in that scene at the end of the uh, what was that season Season five. Five. The, the yeah. break in season five, yeah. Yeah, no, and it's in that moment though, it's it's something that didn't need to happen at all. You know, Mike didn't need to turn around and say, And Walt, one more thing, kind of thing. You know, like yeah. and Walt didn't have to go and I mean that was such a pointless death in a way yeah. but you're right and I remember you and I were talking about Mike's insistence on Walt arranging all that money for his guys it's yeah. like you start off going okay this is the system but after a while it's like well Mike no one really agreed to this and yeah. wouldn't it be easier I mean again in this world of these characters isn't it easier isn't what we do that we just get rid of these guys so in a weird right. way Mike was kind of being old fashioned yeah. about it and and not as ruthless as as you would think so yeah, what what was what happened to Mike? Did he soften a little bit as he went along? I mean, was it did he did he think beyond a certain point maybe he could get out of this life and without any more you know bloodshed? I don't think so. I think that it's it's the way he viewed Walt. Walt was soft to him. He was soft. Yeah. And and but soft doesn't mean defenseless or weak. Yeah. Or weak. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't these are two separate I mean on a one-on-one 
Mike would destroy him. Yeah. And he did. He did several times prove that he could. But each one of those, don't you think that fueled Walt's rage right. and his sense of like but when he should... finally did shoot Mike, it was out of yeah. just impotence almost. Like, But yeah. you should never, I think that what he, what he <clears throat> confused with weakness was kind of him, I think that what made Walt so amazing was he was not afraid to seem weak at mm-hmm. times. He was not afraid to kind of be, you know, kind of in a corner shaking his hand and, no, yeah. please, no, no, and then do something insane after that. Right. I think there was something pretty amazing about that sort of cowering and then coming out of that cowardice to do crazy things. He manipulated people a lot. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the things that Mike did. He kind of took his kind, this weakness for, like, I don't know. Yeah, he misunderstood Walt. He misunderstood you know was, what he, was he misunderestimated him. Is that what people? Yeah. Like? No, yeah. no, I do think that um, it, also crucial to that is the fact that, like Mike, he was wrong. What he said to Walt at the end about they had a good thing going. When Walt, he conco- was kind of right. When, when Walt concocted, but but he, what his whole thing was, we had a good thing going. You didn't have to kill the goose that laid the golden eggs. Talking about Gus, right, but right. let's not forget, Gus had taken Walt out into the desert and put a gun to his head <laughs> and said, "I'm going to kill your whole family if you interfere with me." <laughs> he right. did. So Walt was. I mean, Mike didn't. I mean, Mike knew, but it's almost like Mike. He was actually out there for that. So it's like Mike was willfully forgetting that he was fine under Gus's reign. But Walt wasn't. And yeah. Walt, so and it, I guess what I'm saying is I think it's interesting. It's kind of like with Jane, uh, Steve, the way that she was not a perfect... You saw that she was kind of abrasive and she was kind of like a, not a great influence on yeah, Jesse. It didn't mean she deserved to die. Sure. Kind of the same thing with Mike. It doesn't mean we want to see him get killed, but you can see the, the weaknesses that make this character... <coughs> like if Jane hadn't been so abrasive to Walt, he would have probably not let he her die her, yeah. in front of her, in yeah. front of him. And I think the kind of the same thing, like with with Mike, if Mike had been a little more understanding of the plight that Walt was in, and like you said, not always thinking Walt just doesn't understand, yeah, then maybe that that they could have been allies. You know, it was always clear though from the beginning of that. You know, once Gus was gone, it was always clear that eventually Mike and Walt were going to have to go up yeah. against each but, other. But but that's assuming that. But I guess you're assuming that Mike's never been in that same position before with Gus. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like maybe Mike has experienced something like that before where his family was threatened by Gus or mm-hmm. but it's like don't upset it, you know? It, it's okay as long as you work within it. Right. And that's and that's not what that's not what Walt was willing to do obviously, but Mike in his mind, you know, that could have been a scenario, you know, that's something that he seems like a pretty smart character and a pretty smart person in the series. So mm-hmm. I I definitely agree with where you're going with that. I just think that when he makes that comment, I think he's just, I think he likes the, the, like, what to him is, like, normal. Yeah. You know, and that was with, with what, how Gus did it. Right. Well, I mean, and, again, not, yeah. maybe not wrong from his point of view, yeah. but we can see how oh, sure, he's sure. not understanding the predicament Walt was in. Sure, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> my third and final moment. Yes. Man, it's... Because it, there's only three or four good moments on Breaking Bad. Right. right? Uh, I call this the final bond. <laughs> uh, and it was the last scene of the well was it the last scene the second to last scene of the show when um walt went into the building and then jesse was brought into the room and then chaos ensues <laughs> chaos ensues <laughs> never wrong <Ronald, laughs> never has your your catchphrase been more aptly applied so after it happens and the smoke clears mm-hmm one person is still alive. Well, two people are still alive. Yeah, you mean other than the two people uh, that we hope are still alive. Yeah. 
One of them is Todd. Yeah. And seeing Jesse finally get freed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's a weird Like, point. such a predictable such moment, a predictable. but such an exciting, like, so yeah. satisfying to see that moment. Like, you knew You it was, know you need that moment. You, you knew when Todd was it's, left alive after the, the, the barrage of bullets. You knew the, that he was left alive so that Jesse could kill him. Like, yeah. But, I mean, I, I'm saying that in a sense that I admire that the show managed to satisfy me so much with scenes where I literally had sort of pictured it happening almost exactly the way it happened. Yeah. I was like, I hope Jesse gets to strangle Todd yeah. with a chain. You after know? it happened, like, I was like, Jesse. He has to kill. There's something. There's something super. And nice. Todd was not expecting that either. It's right, great. Right. There's something super nice about the idea that Vince got to finish the show on his terms, mm-hmm. and then it feels like Walt also got to finish everything the way he wanted to. Like this was the best version of a worst case scenario that right. you can ever have. Because it's life. not like a happy ending, but no, it's definitely a satisfying one. And, yeah. and and to see it go that way. And also the fact that Uncle Jack, we get to see in that moment that Walt isn't about the money at all at this point. Like yeah. when Jack says, Don't you want to know where your money is? And Walt doesn't even want to doesn't even want to humor that conversation. Right. Like, it's not it's not about that. He took care he took care of the situations that he had to take care of and that was it. And that, and that. But as, but I think a key thing is as best he could as under best. the circumstances. Yeah. So many people have said they thought that he kind of got off light, but I feel like before that, the last episode before that was all about taking Walt to the absolute bottom. Like when he's out in the, right. he's out in the cabin in New Hampshire and he's paying someone ten thousand dollars to spend an hour with him. Yeah. There's nothing more lonely and I, sad than that. So I feel like what they did that was brilliant was. Everything after the shootout in the desert was all about seeing Walt lose everything we knew he was fighting for this whole time. Yes, and then seeing him taken down to the, like to the bone, so that we could kind of root for him again. I think in that last episode, because that last episode was all about, well, what can he do now? Now that he's cornered, what can he do? And the fact that his plan was kind of simple, that it was kind of easy to predict maybe who the poison was for and who the gun was for, that yeah. didn't ruin the effectiveness of it for me at all. Yeah. I liked that I kind of it was happening. I liked that it felt like the right things were happening you know yeah. they weren't thrown in a twist just to be right just to fuck with you i don't think that it had to have been he, he set his he set the ending up for it to be an ending he yeah. he walt set his his last couple hours up to be exactly what he didn't he didn't he, everything was taken from him mm-hmm. what the fuck was a point besides looking out for his family and then avenging <laughs> yeah and when skylar when he says after tonight you won't have to worry about this. And she's like, what yeah. happens tonight? And I don't even remember what he says, but just when she says, yeah. what happens tonight? Walter just has this look where I'm like, oh, he's doing something with that gun tonight. Like, we yeah. see it. And, you know, at that point, I guess he had, he already used the, he had already used yeah, he'd the always poison. Used the, yeah. There's something really also very nice about the idea that, like, I think that really, I think that Walt wanted Jesse dead up until the point where he saw him. Yeah. He saw him as a prisoner, and he's like, what the fuck? This is not what I was expecting. Well, and he changed his mind in that moment that he that decided mo- to maybe sacrifice himself to kill Jesse. So do you think Walt's plan at first was to die when the gun went off? Do you think he wanted to gun himself down at that moment? Or do you think... Because I felt like the fact that he had to tackle Jesse to save him in that last scene was sort of also why he wasn't dead. You know what I mean? Because yeah. clearly Walt expected and wanted to die. Yeah, in that I think moment. he just kind of wanted everybody to get sprayed up. But then when he, but yeah, seeing you could see his face change when he saw Jesse. He was like, oh, yeah, this is not what I thought it was. Yeah, he thought that it, it, like he thought Jesse was gonna come out like, hey, bitch, I'm, you know, like yeah. I thought he was. He thought that he was gonna be like very strong and and powerful and pointing mm-hmm. down at him, and it wasn't. It wasn't that he was. He's being held captive, so well, that's true because he really did think they had kind of partnered with Jesse more than yeah. they had up to that moment, and that felt like a play. Like he was trying to get Uncle Jack to be mad 
and bring Jesse in. But I don't know if Walt could have predicted all that. I think Walt just kind of wanted to yeah. just wanted to figure out what was going on. And, and right, right. I don't know. Yeah. No, you're right. I think that I heard them say that they were basing a lot of that scene on the searchers. The there's a John Wayne. That's a mm. really great western, where all along they they're going to rescue a girl that's been kidnapped by a, a Native American tribe, and all along they feel like well she's now been God only knows what those savages have done to her is kind of the implication of it, mm. and that the notion is that they're they're going to find her so that they can kill her, right. you know, take her out of her misery, and then when he finally when John Wayne finally finds her, he he loves her too much. It's like his, uh, maybe his daughter or his niece. I can't remember how he's, they're related in the film. He decides to save her instead of to, to execute her, essentially, at the end. Wow. And, and they said that they were thinking of that moment when Walt... And so, yeah, what you said is dead on. That, that like Up till that moment, Walt was certainly not caring too much what happened to Jesse. Right, right. That's crazy. No, it definitely was his, his intention to kill him. Yeah, I mean, he was going to no kill doubt. the shit out yeah, of him. Like, you can tell. Like, he's just like... His, his goal in, in the episode prior when he saw the Grey Matters people on television was they found two things out that, that it was still in production, which is says Jesse to him. And it was, you know, a means to get the money to his family. Yeah. So, you know, at the end when he dies, when you're talking about this, it's like at the very end, the very beginning of the series, his sole purpose was to make money to leave his family before he died. Mm-hmm. And he absolutely... Like, he he did that like yeah. that was the that was the last thing he did was that you know what I mean so in a in a way he he in his own means he accomplished the one thing that put him into this whole world which is pretty yeah. pretty awesome I don't know but without it I mean it, it, that was very you know what he worked out with the Schwartzes that was a clever twist yeah. to figure out like okay these people kind of owe me one and they're actually in a position to you know maybe help my kid and sure. they could you know I thought that was I wasn't expecting that when, that scene where he shows up in their house was so tense because you just didn't know. What Walt was going to do, but I was pretty sure. I just so many people were predicting all these crazy things. Everybody dying, everybody gunning down. I just knew that all along Breaking Bad, it wasn't like it. It was a dark show, but it was never a show that was designed just to make you sad. It was yeah. always about the kind of cleverness of the plot and how they could paint themselves into these narrative corners and then get out of them without yeah. breaking the rules of their world. Gotcha. I knew that it was going to end cleverly, not grimly you know what i mean so many people yeah. seem to think that it was gonna like the the kids were gonna get blown up and skylar was gonna die and walt was gonna shoot himself it was it was always gonna be a little bit more about redemption a tiny yeah, bit I, a little drop of redemption at I the agree. end i agree because we didn't hate walt through and through we did kind of i mean i do think the way things the way we, we left him was very appropriate but yeah well my last pick is um um, maybe the darkest moment that I can think of, like when things got as bleak as they got, it's in this episode uh, from season four, the 11th episode of season four called Crawl Space. <sighs> it's a scene we alluded to the or the beginning of this sequence earlier, which was when Walt's out in the desert and Gus has take basically, while his, Walt's leaving Jesse's apartment and he gets tased and a bag thrown over his head and he gets taken out to the desert. And that's when Gus Fring tells him, you know, I will kill, I will kill your infant daughter. You know, he basically <laughs> like tells him, if you interfere it's with a great impression. If what he basically says is we're going to we're going to do something about your brother-in-law and if you try to interfere we're going to kill your whole family. And so Walt, you know, and it's interesting to me I was rewatching that episode to in preparation for this conversation and it was interesting to see how long the thread has been Walt like as things got more and more hot the he definitely him protecting Hank was a huge part of of like what made life more difficult for Walt. Sure. He was always trying to avoid that. I mean, you know, like they 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 were family. They loved each other and that there was something kind of talk about another bond that got broken. That scene in the garage is all about like you you know, you can't go back from this moment. Yeah. But at that moment he was he was trying to he was trying to protect Hank, but he also knew that oh, I can't let 
I can't let Gus kill my family, obviously. So he's, he makes a mad dash to Saul's office. And Saul had referred to his guy, his guy who ran the vi- vacuum cleaner shop before. We'd never seen him until the end of the fifth season. But Walt knows, I got your guy who disappears people. Put, hook me up with him. And Saul says, well, it's going to cost you. And if it's your whole family you're trying to disappear, I know this is like the deluxe package. It's going to be at least half a million to do four people. So, but Walt knows he's got the money in his crawl space at the house. So he runs back to the house. And then he discovers what we already know, which is that Skyler has given the money to buy to pay off Ted Benicky, her ex-lover, who was, you know, kind of shadily kind of blackmailing them. And we know that, that that in the same episode that has gone bust because Ted has tripped on some oranges, and that was the same episode where that all happened. You know, what Ted's sad fate. But Skyler doesn't know that. She just knows she gave Ted the money to buy him off. Walt finds out that the money's not there, and he just his mind breaks he's down in the crawl space of his house and his mind breaks he screams and then he laughs Laughs. and he cries and he's just laughing and and skylar is is looking at him it's like something out of a horror film yeah she's like saying walt uh," like she can't you know he's he's not human right now he's howling in madness it's like a shining moment and yeah it very much is and she backs up and at that moment marie is calling because she's just gotten like walt has also told saul to call into the dea to warn agent schrader you know hank that there's going to be a hit out on him so marie's calling skylar to say it's happening again they're after they're after hank and it's another brilliant sound design moment the show the sound design the score on that show was always real atmospheric more so than melodic and the music is getting intense and then we go back to walt laying there in the crawl space and he's just he doesn't know what to do now as far as he's concerned it's all over yeah we're we're all gonna die and the camera just pulls out and it goes impossibly high it's just in the closet where the uh, the little trap door that leads to the crawl space is it just pulls out and out and out and out while the audio is getting more like distorted and stuff. It just feels like, as we've said before, there's so many. It was one of those episodes that ended where you go, I don't know where they pick up from here. And yeah. as in, the, you know, as they often did, they pretty much pick up right with, well, what do we do now? But in that moment, I remember watching that and just going like, if I didn't know that the show went on after that point, I would think, <laughs> I guess he's just catatonic now. You know, there's no, yeah. there's no answer because at that moment he's really sure that, like you were saying, all that stuff he was fighting to protect his family, namely. He thinks they're all gonna die, and it's yeah. it's yeah. It, That's a great moment. It was in, it was another moment where I just thought this show was one of the best acted shows I've ever seen. Yeah, great Cross moment. Space. Yeah, crossface. My last moment is, uh, I think some people refer to it as the Walking Dead moment, which is uh, episode thirteen of season four, titled "Face Off." Ah, pretty uh, pretty direct uh, title for an episode, but you don't really know that till the last shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically, this is the episode where Gus basically outsmarts probably his most formidable opponent in the whole series, in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, and basically manages to uh, wire a bomb to Hector. And uh, he- you know, when Gus goes to visit Hector and thinks he's outsmarted him once again, you hear that bell going off, and, and Hector nervously keeps ringing it because it's not detonating, and uh, and then it does, and and you think, oh shit, like it- that just happened. But then we get that shot of, of Gus walking out, like all proper, clean, like shaking himself off. For a split off. second. Yeah. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah. How did he? You're like, did he know something? <laughs> yeah. But then the camera comes around and you just see the reactions of the nurses in the hallway looking at him from the side that we don't see. Mm-hmm. And we're like, what? What, what, what? what are they looking at? And then it comes around and you're like, oh yeah. Oh fuck yeah. He got yeah, him. Yeah. yeah. And that was a really cool moment because. Um, oh yeah. Just, just. I mean, he. Just, I think that's probably where Watt was at his most brilliant, you know, in terms of outsmarting. Uh, well, I mean, really, what you're talking about that scene directly followed the crawlspace moment. Yeah, From yeah, that yeah. moment on, he's he's trying to take Gus out. Yeah, yeah. 
and he fails several. You know, <laughs> so he, many he, times. Like, he has a tough time. But yeah, no, you're right, Steve. It's, it was so rewarding to see him actually think his way out of that impossible situation. Yeah, and it's just. Uh... Yeah, I don't know. Because Gus is so careful. Yeah, yeah. This is the only thing. He's so meticulous, like almost to the point, like Walt is, but almost a step further for the most part. Like you just said, the times that Walt has failed, you see where Gus had the up on him or the one step ahead of him. But uh, this is the moment where... He discovered Gus's one weakness, which is his pettiness, his bitterness, his (laughs) desire for revenge, his hatred for Hector Salamanca. And uh, just, yeah. I don't want to run on too much about it, but because it's pretty straightforward scene and just seeing because straight up, you just got your ass. Yeah, but it's and, great that they played it as that moment where you thought, no, it didn't work. What's going to happen yeah. now? Oh, wait, it worked. <laughs> well, and then what follows that, you know, what you kind of find out after that or also in that episode, you, you basically, you know, you find out about about him poisoning the, the kid mm-hmm. in that episode and the whole moment where he goes back to Skylar and he says, I won. Mm-hmm. I mean... That is like a pure, that's Heisenberg. Like that's the moment, or that's a moment, if not the moment, where Skylar, you you can see her feel it, and and, and Walt embraces it so obviously, and you're just like, damn, like, that that just happened. Her look on the phone call where he says, I won, Mm -hmm. is very similar to the look on the face when she's backing away from him when he's in the crawl space. It's just this look of like, ugh, this, this man, you know? Yeah. No, that's fascinating. And it, at that moment, it's amazing that they give him this great victory, mm-hmm. and then it, when revealing the, you know, with you realizing what he did to to poison Brock to bring all this about, <laughs> it's like you give. It's a little bit like the the train heist. Like you get this moment of victory where you want to pump your fist, and then you instantly have the kind of sickly reminder of like, ah, who's who am I rooting for here? Yeah. But that was definitely. I mean, that was still a. I was in Walt. I was. I wanted to see Walt think his way out of that out of that mess, even though you know it's not like. You know, I'm not like Team Walt or whatever, but I think that it's just, it was amazing that the show did that, that they well, actually... And, that, were... and that's the balance, though, like the fact that we're rooting for that mm-hmm. and you want him to succeed and he's like our anti-hero, but then immediately, you like you just said, you found out he just, he poisoned a kid. Yeah. Like, what the, like, let me decide to side with you and be okay with that. Yeah. And then completely pull the rug out and be like, I can't, I can't do this. This is, mm-hmm. this is a bad relationship for me. I can't yeah. be your friend anymore. That's, but then you still kind of hang around and want to know what's going on. That's what defines the show, man. It's oh, the, dude, seriously. Up and down. Well, the sh- the, and incredible. also that line, I won. The show was great at having these simple lines that became like thematically important, like, uh, I'm the one who knocks. Yeah. I won. What was the other one? Uh, the, Tread lightly this year. There's all these great lines. <laughs> Tread lightly was one of my that favorites. Are like, say my name. Yeah, say my line. name. So, you're damn right. Yeah. <laughs> so simple. And also my favorite Jesse Pinkman line of all time. These fake pop tarts are the bomb, yo. <laughs> um, but I think that yeah, it's it was amazing how simple they could make those moments and how they they could make that resonate. And it, of course, it was the acting and the, the. I mean, we haven't really talked about just the fact that it was one of the best photograph shows that's ever been on television. But yeah. it always looked so interesting, and it always it always had such an emphasis on plot. And I don't think there's many other shows that I love that have such an emphasis on what's going to happen. Yeah, it's more about the characters, more about the you know, the various other trappings, but this is a show where really just seeing what are the writers going to think of yeah. was sort of the, the game. Great show. Yeah. It will be missed. Definitely. It upsets me when I look at my queue and see that Breaking Bad, like, you know, it usually, it's like continuing or yeah. next episode date. Yeah. And it just straight up says status ended. <laughs> it's right. like, oh no, yeah. it can't be. Sad stuff, man. Did you ever listen to the Breaking Bad podcast? They, no, they, they did like no. a weekly podcast where they would get it would be like the writers and the creators of the show would get together and sometimes with an actor and they would talk about the episodes in at length like sometimes for an hour and a half. Wow. And so I always kind of enjoyed listening to that 
almost like after the episode would air the next it would be on monday that they would drop that podcast oh, wow. and it was almost like the episode ended and i was like well i still have the podcast to listen to you know <laughs> and yeah. then the podcast was over and it was like there's no more like there's yeah there's no, no more. more breaking bad but i mean do, so what do we how do we think it stacks up in terms of how it ended with against the great shows of all time do you think other shows like other shows may well, have, it's no Dexter. Let's just right. be honest. Other right. shows may have had a final episode that was more kind of important to the show, but I don't think that like Breaking Bad, from a story standpoint, I can't think of another show that really wrapped up its run as gracefully. Agreed. The Wire, maybe. Yeah, maybe The Wire. Maybe The Wire, but that's, I mean... But at best, we'll say that the fifth season is divisive. Like, I enjoyed the fifth season of The Wire, but mm. a lot of people didn't. But, like, Breaking Bad seems to be a show that everyone seems to agree that last chunk of episodes was just some of the best television I mean, television they just put the pedal to the ground. Yeah. I mean, like, they just went all out, and yeah. I, that's what I want. And that's, that's what, what everybody needed. wanted, you know? You, mm-hmm. you got everything you needed in most ways. Like, you know, you're yeah. talking about Todd and Jesse getting Todd and, and letting Jesse have Todd. I mean, yeah. that's, just, that's just what you want in a show like that and something that you've invested five seasons as a viewer into. Um, I, I don't I can't think of a series that I have felt as fulfilled with when it ended. You know mm. what I mean? Like from from beginning to, us talking about these episodes right now, I I want to go back and watch this whole series from beginning to end again. Yeah, me know? too. I mean, and for no just for the reason that I remember it so well, and just talking about these episodes and these these scenes that we all loved. I mean, the fact that I could you know we we all had different scenes. I mean, some of them may have overlapped, but. Not many series have that many defining scenes yeah. or, or lines or moments. And like you talk about the way the plot was driving this, this series from the beginning to the end, which is very rare in shows that you know are very successful or are watched by a lot of people. Um, it's just the kind of thing that allows for so many great characters, allows for so many great moments, and allows for viewers to identify 10 people can pick 10 different scenes. And that's not very common. I feel like a lot of shows that are around now, you know, there's probably three or four scenes that most people will always go to, you know, because that's kind of like, that was the big moment of that season or mm-hmm. that whatever. But Breaking Bad has had those moments peppered throughout every season. And also they would get to things quicker. Like when this yes. last eight episode chunk started up, that moment in the garage, we kind of alluded to it earlier, but yeah. when, when Walt almost leaves... Like, you could see them stretching out the cat and mouse game for a season. Walt almost leaves, but he's got that transmitter in his pocket, and he turns around, and he has... He knows he's letting Hank know that he knows that he knows. And Hank knows if he... However he responds now, he's letting Walt know that yeah. he knows that he knows. Yeah. But when, yeah. when Walt says, what about this transmitter? And then and, and then Hank hits the button on the garage door, and it just closes down. And you're just like, oh, this is on. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is the first episode. I thought this would be episode eight they would get to this. Yeah. But then when you see what they do at the end of that... It's like you really start to see this is all about the toll. Like that yeah. last, it's all about the family being destroyed. And again, whatever you thought of those characters, it was so tough seeing those people that used to love each other and used to share a table and all these laughs. These people who, you know, it's over. Yeah, it's done. And it made you feel like, man, this show's over. You know, this is, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was great. Loved it. Yeah. Same. I can't wait to watch it again. I, I it's 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 under, it's an understatement like how much I'll miss a show like this. Yeah, yeah. I watch we all watch a lot of TV, and I know I watch a ton of TV. Mm-hmm. And I don't know many shows that I like really genuinely love and look forward to every every episode as much as I did with Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah. at some point maybe in a show's run I did, but consistently I don't I don't know if I can pick another one. Right, honestly. In the past couple of years, yeah, I, I agree, man. Yeah. That's, that's nothing. Nothing compares to it in the past couple of years. 
Mm. So. Breaking Bad. Seek it out if you if you, if you're listening to this and like we just ruined everything. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Well, I mean, if Still you, watch if you did listen this far, I guess yeah, you're a very strange person. I can't imagine why anyone would would <laughs> be unsure well, about watch that. it again. Yes, yeah. yes. because it's likely there's probably not going to be something on, as good on TV this season as there yeah. was then, right. or with with these. Five, yeah, even but... spoiled Breaking Bad is better than most things on television, and that's actually it's you know most often I hate when people say that. Oh, a bad episode of this show is better than most what's on television. Yeah. So it's like no, it's not true. If it's yeah. bad, it's bad. But really, with Breaking Bad, there weren't that many <laughs> bad episodes. I mean, no, it took maybe a, a few episodes to find its tone, yeah. but really from the I mean, I I know some people say the first season is kind of slow but i felt like the first season was still had some of my favorite stuff in it yeah. it's just Very good. it had not found that place yet where you know they, the, the the world of characters had to kind of get developed but yeah. It, yeah it never really dropped the ball yeah so oh, man greatest show of ever i don't know that i can ever it's say one, that it is but one definitely of the best one of shows them. i've ever one seen of them in my for life. sure i mean you I got the wire great. you've got deadwood yeah. you've got the sopranos oh, fucking deadwood we could i could talk about that for yeah. hours but but unlike Deadwood, this is a show that got to finish. Yeah. And I think that's the problem. So many of these shows, like, they don't have an ending in mind. And it is amazing that they would start off a season, like, for instance, when they wrote that scene where he buys the machine gun or he went and got the poison, they said they didn't know when they wrote those scenes what who the gun was for. Sure. Yeah. Who, who the poison was for. I, so I, it's I like, read a couple of those it's, interviews. it's amazing that they were able to keep the consistency that we're talking about. Yeah without a plan from the beginning, which to me just says that is a room full of really, really smart television writers who knew yeah. what they were doing and yeah. probably were allowed maybe to really be creative and push the limits of, of you know, how deep a story could go into this yeah. one plot and just watching it get tighter and tighter. So I'd recommend checking out the the episode of The Writer's Room with, uh, oh, the, that's break, a really with the Breaking Bad cast yeah. or the writers and cast. Definitely a must-see. I would also yeah recommend checking out those Breaking Bad podcasts and stay away from Talking Bad or whatever the name of that. Oh, you didn't like Talking Bad? I hated it. I, I don't. I don't know. We'll talk. You know, we'll talk for uh, another time about like Chris Hardwick and that whole empire of like uh, shittiness, uh, official nerds or something like it feels that. Like a like, fan club. Like, yeah. watching those episodes, which was which is weird to me. Well, it was always a weird panel. I mean, I saw a couple of people that were kind of amusing on there, but uh, you Sam know. Jackson was probably one of the worst that I've seen. He didn't really have much to contribute, man. Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird to me. He's not that good. Well, he's off in actor jail now, I think, isn't he? Oh, no, wait. He got to stay. Stay of execution. Yeah. All right, guys. So maybe get together next week and talk about some movies again. We'll go back to movies. <laughs> we've, we've had this brief sojourn with the, the screens that are at home. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we'll see if there's anything that can satisfy us as much as Breaking Bad. Yeah. Probably, Unlikely. But probably not. Probably not. <laughs> this is the season, though. If there ever was going to be a movie, it'll come out now. Right. So that's our that's in our favor, Ronald. Yep. Silver lining, buddy. In fact, Silver. I think we've already seen a movie that would that would oh. ca- would would hit oh, that oh, category. Okay. And Ronald, you need to go. See I don't Prisoners. want to talk about it though. We'll talk next time about that. Yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. iTunes, subscribe, <laughs> star it, rate it, whatever you want to do to it. Just make sure it's it's owned by you in some way. Please. Rub it. Flip it, wrap it down. Oh no! What was the Belle Biv DeVoe lyric? Am I the only one that remembers that? Poison. Yeah. Yep. That girl is poison, Ronald. Yep. Slap it, flip it, rub it down. Oh no! How? Why would you do it in that order anyway? Right. That's that's further discussion. Yeah. After you've flipped it, it's kind of hard to rub it down. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's already flipped. All right, guys. And on that the episode, <laughs> as always, you've made our day. No, as 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 usual, you've made us gay. Good thing there was a pause there, Ron. Uh, there's a there's enough of a pause there, John, that you can cut that. We, we had already kind of taken it into the ditch a little bit. All right. 
Well, Ronald, I think you've got to get out of here. You've got to go see a movie. I do. Steve and I have to now talk until there's a more suitable ending point. <laughs> Just say bye-bye, Ronald. Shame the way